0: Well, oh, man, it is so good to see all of you. If you're a guest, I'm David. And I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm so glad you're here with us today. You're always welcome to the things that we have going on here at, uh, at a First Baptist. We're in a, in a series throughout the month of uh, January entitled Collision. And the basic premise of the series is that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are, not all of you may be one, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to understand you're on a collision course with the culture around us. You're gonna clash, you're gonna wreck, you're gonna collide with that culture. And the purpose of this series isn't to be critical of the culture. The purpose of the series is to help a follower of Jesus know how to navigate, know how to work, function inside that culture. Now, I, I basically, in this series, have asked a question uh, that I'm trying to answer throughout all of it. The question is this How does a follower of Jesus honor God, grow in faith? Reach people for Jesus when you're in a collision with a culture that's hostile to Jesus. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, you you need to honor him, you need to grow, you need to reach others. How do you do that when the culture is constantly colliding with you? Now, what I've shared so far, and and, and from the the book of Hebrews is where we've been, is I've tried to lay out the fact and make obvious that, you know, our culture, there's an underlying philosophy or worldview that really permeates our culture today. In many ways, it kind of uh, uh, just surrounds that culture in some capacity. And it is is something called moral relativism. It's, it's a view of life that basically says, basically says there's no objective moral authority, that there's, there's no one overarching objective authority that guides life. And so you, you can, you know, create your own reality, you do you, your own truth, all of that. Connected to that, as we saw last week, is an understanding of something that we call syncretism. And syncretism basically says that you can pick and choose what you want from any religion or any belief, just kind of make up your own as you go along. Now those two things fly in opposition to our faith and so what i did from the first two weeks being in the first four verses of the book of hebrew is share with you that what hebrew says and what all the scripture says and teaches to us the new testament is that jesus is the ultimate and final authority or revelation of god if he is the final revelation of god then he is the ultimate authority if you're a follower of jesus then absolutely he has to be the only authority in your life. And with that in mind, if he's the only authority in your life, then we saw last week that he is the only one that will get you to God. He's the only way to God. So we've looked at those two things today. We're going to continue in the book of Hebrews in chapter 2 with a message of I've been Drifting Away. Because what I want you to see that you can be a person who is connected to the church, grow up in the church, and maybe be in some ways connected to Christ, but never fully trust Christ, and you can drift away, drift past the opportunity for Him to be your Savior. And so what I want to share with you then is this, that if you reject, compromise, or change Jesus for whatever reason, there is no other way or hope for your salvation. You can't and won't come to God. If you reject Jesus, if you change him, it wouldn't matter why. If you do that, then there's no other way to come to God. There's no other way of salvation. You just won't come to God. So I'll begin um, the message today. I'm going to share about three things with you. But the first thing I want to talk to you about is a little doctrine. Sometimes it's good to get a little bit of doctrine. And, and, and this, what I'm going to talk about, kind of is in many ways just a framework from the passage I'm going to be in a little bit later. And I want to talk to you just for a minute about eternal life and what it means to have eternal life. Now, in in the New Testament, there's two fundamental Greek words that describe life. One that is used not very often, but the one that is used is bios. We get our term biology from it. It's like flesh and bones that, and, you know, when, when you physically die, the biological death, your life ceases, you end, it's over. The other word for life is Zoe. Some of you may be named Zoe or have friends that are named Zoe. It was a popular name a while back. Still maybe, I don't know. But it means life the way it's supposed to be. Life as such. And so the opposite of Zoe is not a physical death. It is life that isn't the way it's supposed to be. It is a kind of spiritual death. You're not living life. You don't have life the way God intended. Now, Eternal life speaks of the word eternal, it speaks of that which kind of idea of foreverness, but it's the idea of without end, the ages. It is life that is eternal forever, has no end. Sometimes you'll hear me say that everybody spends forever somewhere, and that is the concept of eternal life. John records Jesus in his gospel in chapter 10, Jesus as saying this, my sheep listen to my voice. This is John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. He's talking about his followers. And he says this about his followers. I give to them eternal life. They didn't earn it. They don't deserve it. I give to them. And as a result, they shall by no means ever perish. The idea of perishing is the eternal death. They can't be spiritually destroyed. It's not possible. He also says no one can snatch them from my hand or rip them apart. It's the word for rapture. Pull it out. Then he says, the Father who is greater than all... Uh, Has given them to me, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So Jesus makes pretty clear He gives life eternal, forever life to people who are His followers. Later on, in in a kind of a companion piece to his gospel, John wrote a letter we call 1 John. And in chapter 5, verse 13, he says, These things I write unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know for certainty that you have eternal life. He says, I want you to know, without a doubt, you have eternal life. Paul, in Romans 6, 23, says, The wages, the price we pay for our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So here's the thing you need to realize. It is clear from the New Testament. That a person who is saved by Jesus is saved for all eternity. You have eternal life. You can never lose it. Now, we Baptists, you know, if you go to Baptist Church, you know, you've probably heard the phrase, once saved, always saved. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Well, that's true, but it's not really a very good way to word it because a lot of times what that means is that, well, you know, you come to Jesus when you're six, no matter what happens, you can live a horrible life of sin the rest of your life, and you're still safe. Well, that's not true. <laughs> you, know, you can't just, and once you're saved, live to wherever you want to live because then you're probably not saved. Uh, the counterpart, the better way of wording that is the saints persevere to the end or the perseveringness of the saints. Now, what I want you to see is that while it's true that as a believer, you can't lose your salvation, you also, however, can't lose what you don't have. And here lies the problem. It may be not that a person loses salvation, but that a person who we think of as a Christian may think of themselves as a Christian never really followed Christ. In the book of Hebrews, this theme kind of runs through the book of the danger of thinking that you're a follower when you're really not. In chapter 6, the author puts it this way, beginning with verse 4. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened... And have tasted the heavenly gift. In other words, they know about Jesus. They've taken or tasted it. They've experienced it. They've been become partakers of the Holy Spirit. They have seen the Holy Spirit working in the lives of people. Maybe they've even seen him work in their life. They have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. In other words, everything about their life, they have seen and experienced the work of Jesus. And, verse 6 says, then they have fallen away. That means they've rejected Christ. they, they pushed him aside. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. How can they come to Christ once they've rejected him? And it says, and they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. This doesn't say they've lost their salvation. It says they have experienced what Christ can do. They know all about Jesus. They know what he's capable of doing. They've seen his work. And yet they still, having experienced all of that, have pushed him away. What's left for them? It's impossible, not for God, but for them to come. Because they have put Christ to ridicule and shame. They have pretended to be something they really, really weren't. Later in Hebrews, a verse we'll probably look at a little bit next week. The author puts it this way, Hebrews chapter 10. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction or who renounce Jesus. But of those who have faith to the Persevering of the soul. The NIV puts it this way. They do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Saved to the end. You can give the impression of following Christ, even may in some way be a part of those who follow Jesus and never truly follow him. We know of someone who did that. His name is Judas. Judas. Judas Iscariot. Now, it's easy just to say, you know, Judas, and I've heard so many preachers do this, oversimplify it, really mess it up. You know, Satan put Judas in Jesus' group from the beginning. He was a traitor working against Jesus. Well, that's not really what the New Testament says. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, Peter says this about Judas, that he shared in our ministry. He was one of us sharing what we did. At some point, he made a decision to follow Jesus. It wasn't one for all eternity. It wasn't a a commitment, but he did follow him. When Jesus sent out the 12, Judas went. He did miracles and cast out demons. Jesus was, I mean, Judas cast out demons in Jesus' name. He did all that stuff, but Judas was like the other apostles. He thought that Jesus was going to establish his earthly kingdom. And he wanted him to do just that. The other apostles figured out that he wasn't going to establish that earthly kingdom. But Judas didn't. And so, yes, he, for money, sold out Jesus. And then when he realized Jesus wasn't going to be pressured into doing what he did, he threw that money back. He had remorse and regret. But you know what he never did? He never repented. He never repented. It was impossible for him who has experienced, if anybody experienced all that Jesus did, it was Judas, to fall away. It was impossible to come back. With the understanding of eternal life in mind, I want you to keep that little doctrine there, then I'm gonna go back to Hebrews. And so, uh, you know, Hebrews, as I've shared, is this book written probably in the mid 60s. We don't know who wrote it, but probably in the mid 60s. wrote it to people who were Jewish in their background and they growing up Jewish ancestry, but who had either become followers of Jesus, they committed life to Christ, or were thinking about it. But they were thinking about going back to the old covenant, to the Jewish law, to that way. Why? Well, because one, Christians were being persecuted. And then two, their Jewish family and friends had deserted them. And so, yes, while they had the church, the church was small and struggling, they basically were suffering immensely. And they began thinking, I don't have to do Jesus. I have another option. I can go back to the Old Testament law. In the author of Hebrews was writing in the letter that said, Jesus is superior to everything in the old covenant. Everything in the way of law, he's superior to that. So why would you go back to the law, which can't save you when Jesus can't? And part of that, and we're in this, in this section between in chapters one and two of showing the superiority of Jesus to the angels. Now, it's hard for us to grasp the importance of the superiority of Jesus to the angels. But to a Jew... The angels were the mediators between most of the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant, and Moses. Now, the Ten Commandments, those big ten, God gave them to Moses. But if you understand how the Jews thought and some things that are shared in Scripture, the rest of the laws were given by the angelic. Deuteronomy expresses this, chapter 32 or chapter 33, right in there. In Acts chapter 7, Paul, in Galatians 3.19, makes mention of that. Now, this is not something important to us, but it was important to them. So the author is saying, if you go back to the old covenant, which was given by the angels, and Jesus is superior to the angels, which means the new covenant is superior to the old covenant, the old covenant is just going to fail. This is where we find ourselves in chapter 2, which is, I'm going to break these four verses down into three kind of sections. The first one is for you to see is this. It is possible that one might miss the opportunity to follow Jesus. You can miss the, you can be all involved in Jesus in the church and miss the opportunity to follow Jesus, so verse one says this. For this reason, what reason? Well, in light of everything he had said previously in all of chapter 1, which we did not cover, about the superiority to Jesus over of the, of the angels. Because we know that Jesus is superior to the angels, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Heard what? About Jesus. We've heard about Jesus. Pay close attention to it. Why? So that we do not drift away from it. The word drift away... I mean, it's kind of just to pass on by. Now, I always have this picture of drifting away, going back to my younger days in central Texas on the Guadalupe River, getting in a tube with my buddies and just drifting on down that river. Oh, that sounds so good. Last night, yesterday afternoon, I mean, I was driving. I had my Sirius XM radio on. I'm listening to classic vinyl because that's the only music worth listening to. Classic reruns, okay, 70s, all that. And then Dobie Gray comes on, drift away. Give me the beat, boys, and free my soul. I want to get lost in my rock and roll and drift away. I thought, that sounds good. I just put the car on cruise, put everything back, close my eyes, and not do that part. But you know that's how it But that's not what it is, it's not just sliding by, it's drifting away. The Greek is, is a ship coming to a harbor and passing the harbor by for whatever reason. It, it, it's, it's intentionally go by. Um, <clears throat> when I was in Laredo, uh, Debbie and this other lady. We're going to Corpus for this music conference for women thing. And now, you need to, I'm going to give you a little geometric, geographic lesson here, just for whatever those words mean. you got to understand, you know, I'm going to do it your version. Laredo's over here on the border. Corpus is on the coast. San Antonio's up here. It's kind of one of those triangles. I think it's an isosceles triangle where every, every angle is the same degree, you know, one of those. I'm just making that part up. I don't know. Yeah. And then on the Corpus side, Highway 281 comes shooting up that from the valley to San Antonio. So it's got that bisecting. So Debbie's not great with directions. Um, She's not. She used to get lost in the driveway. It was very dangerous for her drive. (laughs) She is better than the other lady, and the other lady's driving. So I said, Debbie, now remember... About three-quarters of the way to Corpus is Alice, Texas. And when you come back from Corpus, if you're not careful, there's a turnoff there, and you'll hit that because it comes up on you really quick. And you'll be heading off like we used to go to San Antonio, and you'll miss the way to Lareda, so be careful. Now, it's about 11 o'clock at night, and we don't have cell phones back then. They probably invented them, we don't have them. And my phone rings, and I know this is not good. And it's my wife, and she's on the pay phone in George West, Texas. You ever better than George West? It's not a great place to be. But one of the things she knew is that she and Pam were talking. She saw she was in George West. She said, wait on, Pam, we ain't going the right way. We're going to San Antonio because we traveled that many times from the valley. So she called me to say, we're in George West. Now, I've been married over 15 years. I knew better, but you young guys, listen to me. I made a classic dumb mistake. I said to her, well, I told you (laughs) what to do. Now, I will not repeat to you what she said to me in George West, Texas on the phone, but it wasn't, honey, you're right. I guarantee you that. <laughs> the good news is there was a road from George West down to Freer, which got her back on the right road, yada, yada, yada. But here's the thing. They knew what they were supposed to do, but they drifted on past. It's just danger. You can know everything you're supposed to do and drift away. The second thing I want you to see is this: to not follow Jesus for any reason is to place oneself outside of salvation. If you don't follow Jesus, no matter the reason, you place yourself outside of salvation. Now, verse two in the first part of verse three is an if-then statement. It's a fancy. There's a fancy uh, Latin name for that. I won't, won't tell you what it is because it don't matter, and I don't know that I pronounce it correct. You know, I took three languages in my life. They're all dead: Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. They're all dead languages. That was just a bad luck on my part. Couldn't pick anything that worked well. But here's what it said. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable. Now, what they're talking about is if what the angels gave Moses was unalterable, couldn't be changed. It was law. And every transgression and disobedience, you know, there were some of those rules said do this. Some said don't do this. So if you didn't do what you were supposed to do and did what you weren't supposed to do, it's covering everything. They received the just penalty all throughout. After you, read the, after you read the Ten Commandments, you just keep reading all those laws. And, and every time, there's, there's a penalty. If this happens, then this is going to happen. And, then, and there was always a penalty for that sin. How then, in verse 3, will we escape? If we neglect, so great a salvation. You want to go back to the old way of doing things. You understand the law. Every time you sin, there was a price to pay. You're going to reject Jesus. You're going to reject this salvation that is so great. How then are you going to escape? How are you going to get past the neglect? Now, the word neglect doesn't just simply mean, well, you didn't take care of it. I mean, there are some, you can drive and see a house that no one lives in. It's neglected. You can also see a house where someone lives in it and the weeds all over the place. And, you know, if you go in the house, there's trash there and the dishes aren't done. I hope I didn't describe your house or the person you're sitting next to as you look at them. But understand this, that type of neglect is deliberate. If you deliberately neglect salvation, what do you think is going to happen? You're outside God's way of salvation. So get this, revelation is clear. That Jesus, now revelation is, we call it the New Testament. Jesus is the final revelation as he revealed himself to us. Revelation is clear that Jesus is God's one way of salvation. It's clear that Jesus is the only way. The rest of verse 3 and then verse 4. Here's what we see. After it was at the first spoken through the Lord. After what was spoken? Salvation. After the Lord Jesus spoke salvation, it was then confirmed to us by those who heard. In other words, the apostles and others confirmed that Acts, you see that in the book of Acts, Jesus spoke, then the apostles, you know, Peter starting off with those guys, then Paul, they kept sharing everything Jesus shared. They, that, that's what the early church said, they, they talked about what Jesus did. Those folks he's writing this letter to may never have heard Jesus, but they heard what other people heard. So they shared Jesus. Then it says in verse 4, God also, after testifying with them. Now, God also testified also by signs and wonders and by various miracles. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost came. And the Holy Spirit came upon people and there were signs. People heard, and there were miracles, people heard the gospel in their own language. Chapter 3, Peter heals someone who who was paralyzed. There was all these things that gave evidence to the validity of the gospel back then, now by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. He said, you now have the Holy Spirit and the gifts he gives. All this is evidence. How do you know Jesus is the only way? Well, that was the message that was preached. If the angels preached a message that couldn't be changed without punishment, what do you think about Jesus? And the evidence, even more so, is that Jesus preached it, and, every, and the followers of Jesus preached it, and now we preach it. And if you go back, God gave testimony that it was true by all the miraculous things that he said. But even now, you have the Holy Spirit of God within you. And the Holy Spirit of God dwelling among us is the evidence that we have eternal life. Now, while you may not be able to lose eternal life, you cannot have it because you've drifted past Jesus. That was the danger they found themselves in, that they would simply just drift away. Which brings me to the third thing I want to talk to you about, which is a culture in conflict with Jesus. One of the things that I I shared with you a couple of weeks ago is that Christianity is counterculture. Whatever the culture is, Christianity always runs counter to it. Now, for a large part of American history, about 200 years, give or take, you know, a lot of our culture was Christian that appeared. And so Christians didn't have a lot of collision with the culture, but it's not that way anymore. Don't get yourself. American culture is now like the rest of the world has been for 2,000 years. It's in a collision with Christianity. So Christianity is counterculture. Now, what can happen is because we can look at the culture and we're part of that culture. We can't help it. I mean, we, we live here, you know, we have jobs, we have friends a are part of it. And we can find ourselves, as I shared last week, trapped between two cultures. You can find yourself trapped between the culture of Christ and the culture of the world. And one of the dangers I said... It's not that we engage the culture with Jesus, that we open our arms up and embrace the culture. And there are many Christians and many churches and even whole denominations that are opening their arms up, embracing the culture, saying, we've got to change Christianity so that we can be more like the culture for whatever reason. And right now, within minutes of this church, there are several churches that do just that. They have so opened up their arms to embrace the culture that if the apostles were to be here today to walk into that church, they would say, you are not Christian. Because you have compromised and changed Jesus. The antidote for that, or the cure for a lot, of as I shared, in our culture today is to be fluent in Jesus. I've talked about being fluent in Jesus the past two weeks. Had slides up on everything. We need to recognize that we need to know about Jesus. We need to know the Gospels, the book of Acts. We need to become fluent in what it means to follow Jesus. So with that in mind... I'm going to give you three don'ts. And I know you hate coming to church and hear a preacher say, don't do this, don't do that. I rarely do that, but I am a Southern Baptist preacher. So occasionally I'm going to give you some don'ts. So I'm going to give you three don'ts. The first don't is this, don't take faith in Jesus for granted. Don't take your faith in Jesus for granted. Don't just assume that you've done all the things you need to do if you've never trusted Christ and take it for granted. Sometimes I'll ask people, we'll talk, and I'll say, man, how do you really know you're saved? And i will say, well, I was baptized, or I went down front, or I prayed the sinner's prayer. I don't even know what that is. I've never even used that because I have no clue. It's not in the New Testament. I've heard preachers say so many times growing up, man, if you'll just recite the words to the sinner prayer, you'll be saved. No, you won't. You'll be saved when you trust Christ to be your Savior. Now, if you said the sinner's prayer, I'm sure you're fine because you trusted Jesus. But if you just recited the words, you're not. I heard people say, well, you know, I know the Bible front and backwards. I can teach. I grew up in the church. I even had a guy tell me one time, well, my daddy was a deacon. I'm like, that ain't working in your favor, Haas. That probably worked against you on that part. (laughs) Don't make the mistake of thinking this way. I'm a follower of Jesus because I did all these things. Instead, you should say, I do all these things because I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. And because I'm a follower of Jesus, I went forward when I was nine years old. I got baptized. I became a preacher. I know a little bit about the Bible. I shared Jesus. Because I'm a follower of Jesus, I do that. Doing those things doesn't make me a follower. Don't take for granted that you're a follower of Christ. The second thing I would share with you is this. Don't corrupt or compromise Jesus. Oh, it's so easy to do in our culture. It's so easy to corrupt and to compromise just a little bit. It's so easy to say, you know, we can take a little bit of our culture and we can bring it into my faith. We can, we can change a few things up. It won't hurt. And if you're not careful, you, you look at the culture and you compromise so much. You can't ever stop. When does it stop? When do you stop compromising? You don't. Compromise is not a Christian virtue, it's not. Perseverance, staying true, is a Christian virtue. You can't compromise even a little bit because if you compromise and you change up Jesus, he's no longer Jesus. That's revealed in the New Testament. And thirdly, don't drift away from Jesus. Because you have fallen in love with the culture. Oh, that's so easy to do. You know that? The culture has some really cool things about it. It has some really cool ways to live your life. Some people that do some really cool things. Some really cool, you know, evenings Some things you can do to spend time and things you can watch. I mean, it's easy to fall in love with the culture. In the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, there's this guy named Samson. Samson's such a cool guy. I like Samson. I mean, he's a child of promise. I mean, he's ripping. He's got the long hair. Reminds me of the 70s when we were there. You know, man. I'm watching a football game last night. I'm watching Jacksonville, and there's Trevor Lawrence. and I'm thinking, that could be Samson. He's got the long blonde hair. When he takes it off and does this, all the women just, oh, my God. I, they did, that lady interviewing him after that game did the single longest interview I've ever seen with <laughs> an NFL football player. I mean, two hours later, man, she's talking to him. Samson. You realize Samson spent more time with the Philistines than he did with the Jews. He loved their culture. He did. And there was Delilah. And I know he loved Delilah. And she just wore him down because he fell in love with the culture. And, and, and then got that haircut. And that was all over because he disobeyed God. He compromised. Now... <laughs> The moral of that story isn't, don't get your hair cut by a woman named Delilah. I don't. I got a lady named Michelle who cuts my hair and does a real good job. She cuts both mine and Troy Tudor's, by the way. I can promise you, after she spent a day and a half getting Troy's hair all pooped up just right, I'm a piece of cake. I'm like five minutes in and out. She can't compromise away way of faith. And it happens. It's a guy I know named Mark. Mark and I, we grew up at the same time, you know. And Mark, uh, Mark and I didn't go to the same church. He went to church all the time. He was in church. He's a good kid. And he grew up in church and then um, got married and they were in church. And um, he, he taught a little, a little Bible to some group sometime, I think. And he was probably on some committees, raised his kids up, though, he and his wife. And Mark had a great job, made great money and just begin kind of living that culture, secular life. He liked the culture, and he and I talk, and he'd be like, David, you know, I got a lot of friends here. They're good people. They don't go to church. They don't follow Jesus. They're good, and they're nice, and and they have other beliefs. And he said, I have a hard time accepting that Jesus is the only way to God because I'm around all these people. And, you know, and the more he just immersed himself in that culture, the more he just got away from Jesus and got away from Jesus. And eventually he said, you know, I I love God and I consider myself a Christian. I just don't really believe Jesus is the only way. I just don't really follow him. And What he had done is he drifted away because he fell in love with the culture. He had so many opportunities in his life to follow Jesus, but he neglected to do it. And in his neglect, he eventually just compromised so much, there was nothing left. I began the message saying to you that if you reject, compromise, change Jesus for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. There is no other way or hope for your salvation. You can't and you won't come to God. And that's exactly what will happen is you'll drift away. And what our culture wants is for you to just drift away. It doesn't care if you have some allegiance to Jesus. As long as you change him a little bit, compromise him some, as long as you just kind of push away what's taught about Jesus in the New Testament, and you change him up. My friend, if you do that, I promise you, you'll drift away. But you don't have to drift away. You can give your life to Christ. Today, you have the opportunity to trust him. No matter what you've done in the past or what you believe or think, you can trust Christ to be your savior. And so I want to ask you, why don't you today quit drifting Why don't you trust Jesus? Some of you that are followers of Christ, and while you haven't changed or compromised, you have found yourself drifting just a little bit, haven't you? You've just kind of moved on away more into the culture than than Jesus, and you just need to kind of change course and drift on back. And you can do that and renew that relationship you have. You know, we're going to be here in a few moments, and ladies, if you want to talk to another woman, there'll be another woman up here. If you want to give your life to Christ, you can do that. If you're a follower of Jesus and want to pray, because, hey, I love Jesus, but I've kind of drifted, we'll pray. If you have family or friends, you want us to pray for them, we will. If you want to join our church, you can. I don't know what you need to do, but you're going to walk out of here in a minute, and you're going to have a culture you're going to clash with. I want to encourage you, when you clash with that culture, be sure you don't just drift away from Jesus. Father, and you give us truth. You give us Christ. You give us the chance in Jesus to give you honor and glory, to grow in him, to share Jesus with others. We want to do that. But God, if we're in this collision with this culture, if we give them the culture, if we love our culture more than Christ, we can't do that. So I pray you would help us not to drift away, to fall away, to move away. I pray you would help us not to miss opportunities or flat out just to neglect our faith. But you would help us, Father, to trust Jesus completely. And for those who have never turned their life over to Him, that today they would trust Christ to save them. And that all of us would be committed to Jesus completely. Because in our collision with the culture, we need Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? You come, and we'll be here.